chapter ten of crusaders of new france by william bennett munro this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten agriculture industry and trade it was the royal desire that new france should some day become a powerful and prosperous agricultural colony providing the motherland with an acceptable addition to its food supply to this end large tracts of land were granted upon most liberal terms to incoming settlers and every effort was made to get these acres cultivated encouragement and coercion were alike given a trial settlers who did well were given official recognition sometimes even to the extent of rank in the noblesse on the other hand those who left their lands uncleared were repeatedly threatened with the revocation of their land titles and in some cases their holdings were actually taken away from the days of the earliest settlement down to the eve of the english conquest the officials of both the church and the state never ceased to use their best endeavours in the interests of colonial agriculture yet with all this official interest and encouragement agricultural development was slow much of the land on both the north and the south shores of the st lawrence was heavily timbered and the work of clearing proved tedious it was estimated that an industrious settler working by himself could clear not more than one superficial arpent in a whole season so slowly did the work make progress in fact that in seventeen twelve after fifty years of royal paternalism the cultivable area of new france amounted to only one hundred and fifty thousand arpents and at the close of the french dominion in seventeen sixty it was scarcely more than twice that figure in other words about five arpents for each head of population while industry and trade particularly the indian trade took the attention and interest of a considerable portion in the population of new france agriculture was from first to last the vocation of the great majority the census of sixteen ninety five showed more than seventy five per cent of the people living on the farms of the colony and this ratio was almost exactly maintained nearly sixty years later when the census of seventeen fifty four was compiled this population was scattered along both banks of the st lawrence from a point well below quebec to the region surrounding montreal most of the farms fronted on the river so that every habitant had a few arpents of marshy land for hay a tract of cleared upland for ploughing and an area extending to the rear which might be turned into meadow or left uncleared to supply him with firewood wheat and maize were the great staples although large quantities of oats barley and peas were also grown the wheat was invariably spring sown and the yield averaged from eight to twelve hundred weights per arpent or from ten to fourteen bushels per acre most of the wheat was made into flour at the seigneurial mills and was consumed in the colony but shipments were also made with fair regularity to france to the west indies and for a time to louisbourg 
in seventeen thirty six the exports of wheat amounted to nearly one hundred thousand bushels and in the year following the banner harvest of seventeen forty one this total was nearly doubled the price which the habitant got for wheat at quebec ranged normally from two to four livres per hundredweight about thirty to sixty cents per bushel depending upon the harvests in the colony and the safety with which wheat could be shipped to france which again hinged upon the fact whether france and england were at peace or at war indian corn was not exported to any large extent but many cargoes of dried peas were sent abroad and occasionally there were small shipments of oats and beans there was also a considerable production of hemp flax and tobacco but not for export in any large quantity the tobacco grown in the colony was coarse and ill-flavoured it was smoked by both the habitant and the indian because it was cheap but brazilian tobacco was greatly preferred by those who could afford to buy it and large quantities of this were brought in the french government frowned upon tobacco growing in new france believing as colbert wrote to talon in sixteen seventy two that any such policy would be prejudicial to the interests of the french colonies in the tropical zones which were much better adapted to this branch of cultivation cattle raising made substantial progress and the king urged the sovereign council to prohibit the slaughter of cattle so that the herds might keep on growing but the stock was not of a high standard but undersized of mongrel breed and poorly cared for sheep raising despite the brisk demand for wool made slow headway most of the wool needed in the colony had to be brought from france and the demand was great because so much woolen clothing was required for winter use the keeping of poultry was of course another branch of husbandry the habitants were fond of horses even the poorest managed to keep two or three which was a wasteful policy as there was no work for the horses to do during nearly half the year fodder however was abundant and cost nothing as each habitant obtained from the flats along the river all that he could cut and carry away this marsh hay was not of superior quality but it at least served to carry the horses and stock through the winter the methods of agriculture were beyond question slovenly and crude catalonia the engineer whom the authorities commissioned to make an agricultural census of the colony ventured the opinion that if the fields of france were cultivated as the farms of canada were three-quarters of the french people would starve rotation of crops was practically unknown and fertilization of the land was rare although the habitant frequently burned the stubble before putting the plough to his fields from time to time a part of each farm was allowed to lie fallow but such fallow fields were left unploughed and soon grew so rank with weeds that the soil really got no rest at all all the ploughing was done in the spring and it was not very well done at that for the land was ploughed in ridges which left much waste between the furrows too often the seed became poor as a result of the habitant using seed from his own crops year after year until it became run out most of the cultivated land was high and dry and needed no artificial drainage even where the water lay on the land late in the spring however there was rarely an attempt as peter calm in his travels remarks to drain it off the habitant had patience in greater measure than industry and he was always ready to wait for nature to do his work 
everybody depended for his implements largely upon his own workmanship so that the tools of agriculture were of poor construction the cultivation of even a few arpents required a great deal of manual drudgery on the other hand the land of new france was fertile and every one could have plenty of it for the asking calm thought it quite as good as the average in the english colonies and far better than most arable land in his own scandinavia why then did french canadian agriculture despite the warm official encouragement given to it make such relatively meagre progress there are several reasons for its backwardness the long winters which developed in the habitant an inveterate disposition to idleness afford the clue to one of them a general aversion to unremitting manual toil was one of the colony's besetting sins notwithstanding the small per capita acreage accordingly there was a continual complaint that not enough labour could be had to work the farms women and children were pressed into service in the busy seasons yet the colony abounded in idle men and mendicancy at one time assumed such proportions as to require the enforcement of stringent penalties the authorities were partly to blame for the development of this trait for upon the slightest excuse they took the habitant from his daily routine and set him to help with warlike expeditions against the indians and the english or called him to build roads or to repair the fortifications and the lure of the fur trade which drew the most vigorous young men of the land off the farms into the forest was another obstacle to the growth of yeomanry moreover the curious and inconvenient shape of the farms most of them mere ribbons of land with a narrow frontage and disproportionate depth handicapped all efforts to cultivate the fields in an intelligent way finally there was the general poverty of the people with a large family to support for families of ten to fifteen children were not uncommon it was hard for the settler to make both ends meet from the annual yield of a few arpents however fertile the habitant therefore took the shortest cut to everything getting what he could out of his land in the quickest possible way with no reference to the ultimate improvement of the farm itself if he ever managed to get a little money he was likely to spend it at once and to become as impecunious as before such a propensity did not make for progress for poverty begets slovenliness in all ages and among all races of men if anything like the industry and intelligence that was bestowed upon agriculture in the english colonies had been applied to the st lawrence valley new france might have shipped far more wheat than beaver skins each year to europe but in this respect the colony never half realized the royal expectations on the other hand the attempt to make the land a rich grain-growing colony was far from being a flat failure it was supporting its own population and had a modest amount of grain each year for export to france or to the french west indies with peace it would soon have become a land of plenty for the traveller who passed along the great river from quebec to montreal in the late autumn might see as calm in his travels tells us he saw field upon field of waving grain extending from the shores inward as far as the eye could reach broken only here and there by tracts of meadow and woodland here was at least the nucleus of a golden west of colonial industry however not as much can be said as of agriculture down to about sixteen sixty three it had given scarcely a single token of existence the colony until that date manufactured nothing everything in the way of furnishings utensils apparel 
an ornament was brought in the company's ships from france and no one seemed to look upon this procedure as at all unusual on the coming of talon in sixteen sixty five however the idea of fostering home industries in the colony took active shape by persuasion and by promise of reward the colbert of new france interested the prominent citizens of quebec in modest industrial enterprises of every sort but the outcome soon belied the intendant's airy hopes it was easy enough to make a brave start in these things especially with the aid of an initial subsidy from the treasury but to keep the wheels of industry moving year after year without a subvention was an altogether different thing a colony numbering less than ten thousand souls did not furnish an adequate market for the products of varied industries and the high cost of transportation made it difficult to export manufactured wares to france or to the west indies with any hope of profit a change of tone moreover soon became noticeable in colbert's dispatches with reference to industrial development in sixteen sixty five when giving his first instructions to talon the minister had dilated upon his desire that canada should become self-sustaining in the matter of clothing shoes and the simpler house furnishings but within a couple of years colbert's mind seems to have taken a different shift and we find him advising talon that after all it might be better if the people of new france would devote their energies to agriculture and thus to raise enough grain wherewith to buy manufactured wares from france so for one reason or another the infant industries languished and after talon was gone they gradually dropped out of existence another of talon's ventures was to send prospectors in search of minerals the use of malleable copper by the indians had been noted by the french for many years and various rumours concerning the source of supply had filtered through to quebec some of talon's agents including jean perret went as far as the upper lakes returning with samples of copper ore but the distance from quebec was too great for profitable transportation and although pere dablon in sixteen seventy sent down an accurate description of the great masses of ore in the lake superior region many generations were to pass before any serious attempt could be made to develop this source of wealth nearer at hand some titaniferous iron ore was discovered at bailly st paul below quebec but it was not utilized although on being tested it was found to be good in quality then the intendant sent agents to verify reports as to rich coal deposits in ile royale cape breton and they returned with glowing accounts which subsequent industrial history has entirely justified shipments of this coal were brought to quebec for consumption a little later the intendant reported to colbert that a vein of coal had been actually uncovered at the foot of the great rock which frowns upon the lower town at quebec adding that the vein could not be followed for fear of toppling over the chateau which stood above no one has ever since found any trace of talon's coal deposit and the geologists of to-day are quite certain that the intendant had more imagination than accuracy of statement or even of elementary mineralogical knowledge above the settlement at three rivers some excellent deposits of bog iron ore were found in sixteen sixty eight but it was not until five decades later that the first forges were established there
these were successfully operated throughout the remainder of the old regime and much of the colony's iron came from them to supply the blacksmiths from time to time rumours of other mineral discoveries came to the ears of the people a find of lead was reported from the gaspe peninsula but an investigation proved it to be a hoax copper was actually found in a dozen places within the settled ranges of the colony but not in paying quantities every one was always on the qui vive for a vein of gold or silver but no part of new france ever gave the slightest hint of an el dorado prospecting engaged the energies of many colonists in every generation but most of those who thus spent their years at it got nothing but a princely dividend of chagrin mention should also be made of the brewing industry which talon set upon its feet during his brief intendancy but which like all the rest of his schemes did not long survive his departure in establishing a brewery at quebec the paternal intendant had two ends in mind first to reduce the large consumption of eau de vie by providing a cheaper and more wholesome substitute and second to furnish the farmers of the colony with a profitable home market for their grain in seventeen seventy one talon reported to the french authorities that the quebec brewery was capable of turning out four thousand hogsheads of beer per annum and thus of creating a demand for many thousand bushels of malt hops were also needed and were expensive when brought from france so that the people were encouraged to grow hop vines in the colony but even with grain and hops at hand the brewing industry did not thrive and before many years talon's enterprise closed its doors the building was finally remodelled and became the headquarters of the later intendants flour-making and lumbering were the two industries which made most consistent progress in the colony flour-mills were established both in and near quebec at an early date and in course of time there were scores of them scattered throughout the colony most of them built and operated as banal mills by the seigneurs the majority were windmills after the dutch fashion but some were water-driven on the whole they were not very efficient and turned out flour of such indifferent grade that the bakers of quebec complained loudly on more than one occasion in response to a request from the intendant the king sent out some fanning mills which were distributed to various seigneuries but even this benefaction did not seem to make any great improvement in the quality of the product yet in some years the colony had flour of sufficiently good quality for export and sent small cargoes both to france and to the french west indies the sawing of lumber was carried on in various parts of the colony particularly at malbaie and at baie st paul beam timbers planks staves and shingles were made in large quantities both for use in the colony and for export to france where the timbers and planks were in demand at the royal shipyards wherever lands were granted by the crown a provision was inserted in the title deed reserving all oak timber and all pine of various species suitable for mastings though such timber was not to be cut without official permission the people did not always respect this reservation yet the quantity of timber shipped to france was very large and next to furs it formed the leading item in the cargoes of outgoing ships for staves there was a good market at quebec where barrels were being made for the packing of salted fish and eels 
the various handicrafts or small industries such as blacksmithing cabinet-making pottery brick-making were regulated quite as strictly in canada as in france the artisans of the towns were organized into jurés or guilds and elected a master for each trade these masters were responsible to the civil authorities for the proper quality of the work done and for the observance of all the regulations which were promulgated by the intendant or the council from time to time this relative proficiency in home industry accounts in part for the tardy progress of the colony in the matter of large industrial establishments but there were other handicaps for one thing the paris authorities were not anxious to see the colony become industrially self-sustaining colbert in his earliest instructions to talon wrote as though this were the royal policy but no other minister ever hinted at such a desire rather it was thought best that the colony should confine itself to the production of raw materials leaving it to france to supply manufactured wares in return the mercantilist doctrine that a colony existed for the benefit of the mother country was gospel at fontainebleau even montcalm a man of liberal inclinations expressed this idea with undiminished vigor in a day when its evil results must have been apparent to the naked eye let us beware he wrote how we allow the establishment of industries in canada or she will become proud and mutinous like the english colonies so long as france is a nursery to canada let not the canadians be allowed to trade but kept to their laborious life and military services the exclusion of the huguenots from canada was another industrial misfortune a few huguenot artisans came to quebec from rochelle at an early date and had they been welcomed more would soon have followed but they were promptly deported from an economic standpoint this was an unfortunate policy the huguenots were resourceful workmen skilled in many trades they would have supplied the colony with a vigorous and enterprising stock but the interests of orthodoxy and religion were paramount with the authorities and they kept from canada the one class of settlers which most desired to come many of those same huguenots went to england and every student of economic history knows how greatly they contributed to the upbuilding of england's later supremacy in the textile and related industries if we turn to the field of commerce the spirit of restriction appears as prominently as in the domain of industry the company of one hundred associates during its thirty years of control allowed no one to proceed to quebec except on its own vessels and nothing could be imported except through its storehouses its successor the company of the west indies which dominated colonial commerce from sixteen sixty four to sixteen sixty nine was not a whit more liberal even under the system of royal government the consistent keynotes of commercial policy were regulation paternalism and monopoly this is in no sense surprising spain had first given to the world this policy of commercial constraint and the great enrichment of the spanish monarchy was everywhere held to be its outcome france by reason of her similar political and administrative system found it easy to drift into the wake of the spanish example the official classes in england and holland would fain have had these countries do likewise but private initiative and enterprise proved too strong in the end 
as for new france there were spells during which the grip of the trading monopolies relaxed but these lucid intervals were never very long when the company of the west indies became bankrupt in sixteen sixty nine the trade between new france and old was ostensibly thrown open to the traders of both countries and for the moment this freedom gave colbert and his canadian apostle talon an opportunity to carry out their ideas of commercial upbuilding the great minister had as his ideal the creation of a huge fleet of merchant vessels built and operated by frenchmen which would ply to all quarters of the globe bringing raw products to france and taking manufactured wares in return it was under the inspiration of this ideal that talon built at quebec a small vessel and having freighted it with lumber fish corn and dried peas sent it off to the french west indies after taking on board a cargo of sugar the vessel was then to proceed to france and exchanging the sugar for goods which were needed in the regions of the st lawrence it was to return to quebec the intendant's plans for this triangular trade were well conceived and in a general way they aimed at just what the english colonies along the atlantic seaboard were beginning to do at the time the keels of other ships were being laid at quebec and the officials were dreaming of great maritime achievements but as usual the enterprise never got beyond the sailing of the first vessel for its voyage did not yield a profit the ostensible throwing open of the colonial trade moreover did not actually change to any great extent the old system of paternalism and monopoly commercial companies no longer controlled the channels of transportation it is true but the royal government was not minded to let everything take its own course so the trade was taxed for the benefit of the royal treasury and the privilege of collecting the taxes according to the custom of the old regime was farmed out all the commerce of the colony imports and exports had to pass through the hands of these farmers of the revenue who levied ten per cent on all goods coming and kept for the royal treasury one quarter of the price fixed for all skins exported traders as a rule were not permitted to ship their furs directly to france they turned them in to farmers of the revenue at quebec where they received the price as fixed by ordinance less one quarter this price they usually took in bills of exchange on paris which they handed over to the colonial merchants in payment for goods and which the merchants in turn sent home to france to pay for new stocks nor were the authorities content with the mere fixing of prices by ordinance they also set the rate of profit which traders should have upon all imported wares brought into the colony this rate of profit was fixed at sixty-five per cent but the traders had no compunction in going above it whenever they saw an opportunity which was not likely to be discovered as far as the forest trade was concerned the regulation was of course absurd every year about the beginning of may the first ships left france for the st lawrence with general cargoes consisting of goods for the colonists themselves and for the indians as well as large quantities of brandy when they arrived at quebec the vessels were met by the merchants of the town and by those who had come from three rivers and montreal for a fortnight lively trading took place then the goods which had been bought by the merchants of montreal and three rivers were loaded upon small barks and brought to these towns to be in readiness for the annual fairs when the coureurs de bois and their indians came down to trade in the late summer 
as for the vessels which had come from france these were either loaded with timber or furs and set off directly home again or else they departed light to cape breton and took cargoes of coal for the french west indies where the refining of sugar occasioned a demand for fuel the last ships left in november and for seven months the colony was cut off from europe trade at quebec while technically open to any one who would pay the duties and observe the regulations as to rates of profit was actually in the hands of a few merchants who had large warehouses and who took the greater part of what the ships brought in these men were in turn affiliated more or less closely with the great trading-houses which sent goods from rouen or rochelle so that the monopoly was nearly as ironclad as when commercial companies were in control when an outsider broke into the charmed circle as happened occasionally there was usually some way of hustling him out again by means either fair or foul the monopolists made large profits and many of them after they had accumulated a fortune went home to france i have known twenty of these peddlers quoth la Hontan, that had not above a thousand crowns stock when i arrived at quebec in the year sixteen eighty three and when i left that place had got to the tune of twelve thousand crowns glancing over the whole course of agriculture industry and commerce in new france from the time when champlain built his little post at the foot of cape diamond until the day when the fleur-de-lis fluttered down from the heights above the historian finds that there is one word which sums up the chief cause of the colony's economic weakness that word is paternalism the administration tried to take the place of providence it was as omnipresent and its ways were as inscrutable like as a father chasteneth his children so the king and his officials felt it their duty to chasten every show of private initiative which did not direct itself along the grooves that they had marked out for the colony to follow by trying to order everything they eventually succeeded in ordering nothing aright End of chapter ten